Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today on Optusport Football Podcast, I'm joined by Spanish football expert Phil Kittremelese and senior football writer at ESPN, James Olley. And it's all about the weekend's derbies. And first taste of the North London rivalry ends in a two-all draw. Whilst Atletico take the bragging rights in Madrid. Also, are Chelsea in turmoil? And Phil begins his hashtag Always Watch Girona campaign. That's all coming up on this week's Optus Sport Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Optus Sport Football Podcast. So James Ollie from ESPN joins us this week. And James, you were at the Emirates yesterday. What was that like? Yeah, tremendous. Fantastic occasion. Um, you know, it's easy, I think, in the past to be a bit critical about the atmosphere at the Emirates, but you have to give Arteta credit for the way he's brought them all together. And, and obviously that, that fixture brings out brings out the most uh, noise of that from that fan base. And, and, a, and a really entertaining game. You know, Spurs went toe-to-toe with them, gave as good as they got. And um, I think a draw was, was probably a fair result in the end. Meanwhile, Phil Kitramilis, you were supposed to be at the Midrand Derby. You had a ticket. What happened? Hi, Mark. Yeah, I had a ticket. Um, didn't didn't realise we were going to talk about this. I had a ticket and then I decided not to go because I was a little bit tired. It was quite late. It was quite far away from my house. I mean, these are pathetic excuses. I felt a little bit ill and I decided to watch it on TV. Um, won't happen again, Mark. I'm really sorry. I've let everyone down, myself down, the Optus Sport football podcast down. So uh, let's let's never speak of this again and, and move swiftly on, if that's okay. No, no, sorry, Phil. Not, there's going to be more than a Derby later on, but we're also certainly going to be talking about your no-show at a Madrid Derby. I don't even know if listeners can actually fathom that. Anyway, let's start with Arsenal and uh, against Spurs. North London Derby, of course, highly uh, anticipated. Obviously, action-packed 2-2 Arsenal against Spurs. James, you were there. What was it like? What was the atmosphere like and the expectation around that game? Yeah, it was a great occasion. And I think, look, I mean, I think we probably know a lot about Arsenal at the moment. We know sort of where they are. They're obviously three years into the to the Mikel Arteta project, if you like, trusting the process, as they say. Um, I think it was more a game about working out where Postacoglu is with Spurs and, and, and just whether they were ready to to sort of commit to this more attacking kind of open style um, in in what's obviously a very difficult place to go these days. And and I thought Basuma and Saar in the centre of the park were really, really good for Spurs, particularly Basuma. I thought he was absolutely outstanding in in yesterday's game. And those two really gave them a platform for for the attacking players to go and create. And, you know, I think it, it says a lot about Spurs who have habitually folded in that game, particularly in that fixture, in that stadium. Um, that they came from a goal down twice. They showed good resilience. Um, yeah, they rode their luck at times, but you sort of have to in a game that, that's that open. But the fact that they they stuck to to this new, more attacking mantra, I, I think bodes really well for them because sometimes these big games, I think we all know, can come sort of too early in the season. You think of 
you know, when title challenges meet early in the campaign, it tends to be about let's just not get beaten here, take a point and, and move on and see where we are, you know, March, April, May. This 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 felt a little bit more like actually we both want to go and make a statement to the other here. And the fact that Spurs are able to do it, um, I think bodes really well, as I say, for for a manager who's just started in a new job, started in a new league, had to cope with losing, you know, the talismanic centre forward in Harry Kane. And, and particularly Kane, when you think of he's the all-time top goal scorer in North London derbies, this was the fixture they were probably going to miss him in more than any other. And actually, where the Son and Kane partnership has been so prolific, maybe we're looking at Son and Madison now combined for both the goals. Could maybe fill that void going forward. Uh, James, you you cover the you cover this is your patch, right? So you cover North London football a lot. You've seen a lot of North London derbies since the last time Spurs won at the Emirates in, in 2010. I'm assuming you've probably been to all the North London derbies uh, possible. Yeah. Where where does this Spurs performance rank? Uh, are we, in terms of you know how impressive was it? Are we getting carried away by thinking this is one of the best Spurs performances we've seen in the last few years? Given the opportunity, given the um, the opposition as well, you know how good this Arsenal team is. So how good was this Spurs performance? I think it's right up there with the performances since they last won in, in 2010 but for a number of reasons, not least because of how good Arsenal are these days. This is probably the best Arsenal team that there's been in that time. Yeah. I think there were there, there were some, some mitigating factors. I thought when Declan Rice went off, I think Arsenal got noticeably worse in the second half. I think that's a testament to Rice and the, and the impact that he's made since he's come in from West Ham. Um, but you, I the fact of the matter is that everything kind of went against Spurs. You know, they conceded uh, an own goal that was quite unfortunate. I'm sure we can talk about the penalty. I seem to be in a minority thinking that that was very, very harsh on, on Romero, given just the proximity of, of the shot to, to, to where okay, he was yeah. in the box. It's, it's, it's a clear penalty, but anyway, OK. Yeah, but fine, fine. I, I just right. think I think if that's a clear penalty under the under the rules, then the rules need looking at, because I just, I just, I, what else is he supposed to do there? I, I just don't really, I don't really understand jump, that. J- jump with his arms by his side, but OK. Right, well, how, and, and that's natural, is it? That's a natural thing to do. Uh, if you don't want the ball to hit your hand, yeah. When you take your kid to the park, when you jump around, do you teach him not to jump around with his hands in the air? Well, I will. When I want to teach him not to give away penalties, yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose there's no VR review at the park. Either, <laughs> um, but anyway, the point, you know, that was from... We digress, certainly, yeah. Certainly from Tottenham's point of view, that was a contentious penalty. And yet, these these moments of diversity did not did not allow them to capitulate. And, and, they, and they have in the past. Look, there's a reason why this whole Spursy tag is... Is, is in existence and it is partly because they managed to snatch, you know, glorious defeat from glorious failure from the, uh, from the jaws of victory and, and, and allow these things to kind of, um, you know, pile on top of each other and, and overwhelm them. So I think it bodes really well. Look, it's no, it's, we're six games in and to be fair, even Postacoglu himself is saying that it's not like I'm going to sit here and say, right, we're Champions League material or yes, this is, you know, the blueprint for the, for, for the future. I think, and I know we're going to come on to talk about Chelsea later on, but I think it, when you look at Pochettino, who obviously came in the summer as well, and how much of a mess it is at Chelsea compared with what Postacoglu inherited, which was not spending anywhere near as much money. OK, overall, a more settled side, clearly. But you rip out Harry Kane from that team. I don't think many of us pre-season had Spurs being capable of producing a performance like this so early on in the campaign at the home of one of the, 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 the main title challenges this season. And that is, is to Postacoglu's credit. 
Well, here's what Ange had to say after yesterday's match. He was speaking to Betty Glover from Optus Sport. You're looking for a reaction, and look, we're going to be that sort of side. I think you've seen it already in, in the games. That, you know, we're going to be relentless. Um, conceding a goal doesn't mean we go in our shell. If anything, we, we, we get back up and go again. And, um, you know, it was, it was a great response because, you know, you look at both goals and own goal and then, you know, VAR penalty. So, you know, those kind of things to go against you on a day like this, it's very easy to feel sorry for yourself, but we never showed that. Can I ask you about the penalty? Did you think it was fair? Oh, I couldn't see it, but you know, handballs just got me totally bemused these days. I, I just think every time I hit somebody's hand, I think it's going to be a penalty the way it's going. So it's um, it's uh, one of those uh, laws of the game that uh, I think is conf confounding a lot of people. And don't forget, you can watch the full interview on Optus Sport app. First of all, Phil, you had your, you interviewed Romero last week for Optus Sport. First yeah. game since then, he scored an own goal and gave yeah. away a penalty. Is there no chance of you ever interviewing ever again? Yeah, it doesn't look like it, does it? <laughs> forget, forget the Greek guy from the Australian TV. Uh, I'm never speaking to him again. Um, but he was he was good. He was good. I mean, he's not like an overly effusive talker in terms of his, his tone of voice, but he's he's quite honest and he's quite measured and he gave quite long answers. And, and he spoke a lot and he repeated the word family a lot about uh, Postecoglou, um, creating a family at Spurs and I asked them in terms of Argentina and what they did at the World Cup being an example for them to follow because Argentina had a talented squad but they had this unbelievable togetherness and he said yeah it's definitely an example for us to follow and he thinks that that is one of the key things that Postecoglou has to achieve first before they can then dream about winning or finishing top four so he says we're on the road to creating a family that's very important and then from there we'll see what we can do so it's one of the core essences of of this spurs project and we saw that didn't we we saw that at the at the, at the weekend because you don't have that kind of reaction uh, as a team unless you are a proper team unless you are completely united unless you've got each other's backs unless you completely buy into what the manager is saying and when you're in a very difficult situation to say no we're not going to panic. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. And Madison, when he was robbed right on the edge of the penalty area and it should have been 2-0 and it wasn't and they kept trying to play out. Um, so it was just a tremendously encouraging performance from a Spurs perspective for all sorts of reasons. Footballing, obviously, but also the, the mentality they showed. I, as regular listeners will know, I'm a Spurs fan and I've witnessed many, many, many capitulations over the years in this fixture. And I was fully, fully prepared to witness another one. And it didn't come. And in the end, Spurs were pretty comfortable and looked the more dangerous team in the second half, I thought. I think what's come across is is Postacoglu, by all accounts, stays out of the, the dressing room. He stays out of the changing room. He's, he's made a point of letting this new leadership group, which includes Romero, has Madison in it, has Son in it, let them form their own culture in the dressing room. Uh, I, I'm interested, Mark, obviously played the game you know, I just wonder what you made of the fact that he has made a conscious effort to almost stay out of the dressing room and allow this new group to form their own bonds that I guess he hopes will manifest on the pitch in a positive way. I, I think a lot of managers do stay out of the dressing room. Um, but I think what was key there is that leadership group. So Ange coming in and identifying who he wants in the leadership group, basically putting that together and knowing a little bit of their personalities, watching them, watching the way they behave around the club, see if they're professional or not. Um, but also the experience. And I think that's really key to have that leadership group, having the right people. If you've got the right people in that leadership group, 
then the rest takes care care of itself because everybody kind of falls in the line. And it's by example most of the time. We had that at Fulham. Roy Hodgson, I don't think I ever saw him in the change room, mm-hmm. ever. Like it's certainly the training ground, but at match day, of course, different. But in the training ground, I don't think I ever saw him once in our change room at all. And I had him for like two years. So he knew we had a group, a leadership group that, that just got on with it, led by example, pulled people into, into place if he needed to, had a quiet word, nothing ever really, I mean, you had the odd, the odd little uh, contentious moment, but in general, it was sorted out and it was all okay. Anyway, where do these two teams sit regarding the rest of the season? Um, are Arsenal going to be up there or thereabouts? Is Tottenham going to be the team that are going to be kind of the outlier that no one expected to be there? Phil? Um, I think the outlier that no one expected to be in the top four is probably Brighton at the moment. I think Spurs had their outside chances of of, of mounting a uh, a push for the top four. <clears throat> Not that, not that I predicted that on our preview podcast. I predicted, I predicted Chelsea in the top four. So we'll get onto that in a moment. I'm not too, I'm not too proud to, to admit that I may have got that a little bit wrong. But listen, Spurs without any European football, um, with with a new man in charge and 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 having lost uh, their greatest player of all time, potentially it was always going to be a, a transitionary uh, season, but one with. I think there were quiet hopes. Now, top four is going to be very difficult because it is so competitive and there are so many teams that will feel that they've got a chance of being in the top four. And we're saying top four could be top five as well this season, couldn't it? Next year, there could be five uh, teams from the Premier League in the, in the, in the Champions League. So, um, you know, top five could, could be within Spurs' reach. They've had this game against Arsenal when they played well and they got a point from. They've got Liverpool at home next weekend. So I think we'll be closer to knowing... Um, where Spurs are in terms of top four after the next couple of weeks, they've got they've got some. Then they've got three London derbies, haven't they? They've got Fulham, Palace, and and Chelsea. So um, I think when we, we if we talk in a month, we'll be a lot closer to knowing. After six games, it's a really good start, really good start, better than any of us would have thought for thought of, and and a historically good start. Um, but I think it's too early for us to say that they're going to be uh, challenges for, for for top four at the moment. Yeah, I mean they've got they've got a shot at Champions League, and and I don't think many of us thought they would in in August. Um, I think also there was probably a bit of a benefit of not having played in midweek. I think they finished the game strong. You know, they they yeah. I thought Arsenal looked really leggy at the end of the game, um, and and you know we've seen in the past that that can have a major benefit in terms of trying to go for a for a top four, as Phil said, the top five spots it will be. <laughs> On all likelihood this year sounds weird, doesn't it? Top five. It sounds like we're we're, gonna, we're doing a rundown of the charts, not the not the Premier League table. <laughs> Spurs um, are out think, of the League Cup as well. They're out of the League uh, yes, Cup. No, are, no pesky are, yeah. League Cup to bother them. Yeah. Tactical genius, early move yeah. there from Postecoglou. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, I, I guess Phil's kind of covered off Spurs, so I, I'd say on Arsenal, I think it probably raises a few more questions about you know they they are being judged now as to whether they can win the league, and you know. That is a very, very tall order against this Manchester City side who um, have got multiple injuries at the moment and yet are six from six and looking quite remorseless in in the way they're going about it already. And so I think the question for Arsenal is at the end of a week where they've had to deal with the Champions League for the first time in six years, they've picked up not loads of injuries, but they've got a few throughout the squad. Can they cope with those extra games that increase demand? And is the squad deep enough to go on the kind of consistent run they're going to have to produce to overhaul Manchester City and win the league? 
Chelsea in turmoil. I should actually say still in turmoil. James, what is going on at Chelsea? The money they've well, spent, Pochettino is supposed to be the saviour. What is going on? Yeah, I mean, so I spent um, about two weeks in America in pre-season and the first week I spent with Chelsea and the second with Arsenal. And the contrast between those two sides in terms of mm. the mood around the place, it, I mean, Chelsea was chaos. And, and I, I thought at the time it said a lot. I mean, look, Arsenal obviously a lot further ahead in, in, in where they want to be under Arteta. But it said a lot about the, just the magnitude of the job that Pochettino has got at Chelsea. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this in Premier League history. You know, in terms of the, the scale of turnover at all levels of the club. If you give long-term contracts to all of those squad members, so that most of them are on six, seven, eight, nine-year deals in some cases, and you've put all these new executives in, you've put all this new backroom staff in, who's the one person you can change when it goes wrong? Of course. The manager. And as absurd as it is to be talking about Pochettino being under pressure, look at what happened to Graham Potter. And I don't want this to be the case because I like Pochettino and managers should be given time just, as we've already said, because of just the sheer scale of change at that club. He needs to be given more time than most. But I do worry that he might not get it particularly when you juxtapose the, the problems they're having with someone like Postacoglu at Spurs, who's come in and in six games has got them playing in this quite expansive, completely different style to what's gone before. And also, James, if you look at the games that Chelsea have had, and they've had this terrible, terrible start, having played, all right, they had Liverpool first game, but then West Ham, Luton, Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth and Aston Villa, that's a pretty gentle start to the season in theory uh, for yeah. Chelsea and and and, 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 look, and look at and look at what they've got coming up they've got yeah. you know in the, in the next nine games I mean they've got Brighton at home in the Carabao Cup in midweek they could easily lose that they've then got to go to Fulham which is not easy these days they've got to go to Burnley Manchester United found that very hard then they've got Arsenal Brentford Tottenham Man City Newcastle Brighton and Man United that's <laughs> the run that takes them into December I mean, it is looking, it, it is looking, it's not going to get any easier from here for, for Pochettino. And also another aspect is that if we're talking about these high pressure situations already, we're talking about a squad that's very, very young and a team that he put out on, on, on the weekend against Aston Villa. I went through and I calculated the average age. The average age is just over 24 for that team. And that average age is brought up a lot by Thiago Silva starting, 39-year-old Thiago Silva. Without them, it's a really, really, really young team. And they're in a difficult situation to, to be relying on these young players. And he spoke about the young players afterwards, didn't he, Pochettino? And he said they needed to be a little bit more, have a bit more nous about them after Nicholas Jackson picked up his fifth yellow card of the season. Uh, obviously, Malo Gusto got sent off for a challenge that he didn't really need to make. So he was calling out his youngsters a little bit, saying that they need to play with a bit more nous about them. And yes, it's not a good situation. I think, James, what your point there about the fact that Ange Postacoglu started so well at Spurs has created that little bit more of pressure on, on uh, Maurizio Pochettino. I, I agree with you. And if you compare the two, yes, you also said the fact that Spurs are a little bit more settled, didn't have many ins and outs, absolutely, but losing their best player by a long way, their proven goal scorer is a massive loss. Whereas Pochettino and Chelsea, they just look like complete strangers. They do. They don't look like a team whatsoever. And and I don't think there's been, I don't know, from, from the outside world, possibly, I, I would believe behind the scenes there's an improvement, I would think. 
um, just because of the way the environments that Mauricio Pochettino creates at clubs. Um, but I don't think uh, from from the outside it doesn't look like there's been a massive improvement um, on the football pitch anyway, and that's ultimately what what counts, right? And this is the yeah. next question, though, Phil. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino was at uh, PSG. He struggled there with the egos. Is that kind of an issue now? I mean, I know they haven't got the big, big superstars, but they've got, like James mentioned, they've got players there on seven, eight, nine-year contracts they spend a fortune on that creates automatically big egos. Yeah. I mean, what he does, like I said, he's got he's got this young squad and Pochettino, in theory, his best work is done with sort of young players and um, moulding a team with the, with the useful exuberance of these youngsters. What he hasn't had previously is maybe what no one's had previously, these unbelievably expensive young players uh, who might have their egos elevated with their unbelievable transfer fees. So uh, it's a... It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really, really tough situation for Pochettino. And I want to ask James, how long do you think before, because you talk about him potentially being the one to be sacrificed. How long? Do, oh, this is ridiculous, isn't it? After it six is games? How, it but is how, ridiculous. But it's ridiculous, but at the same time, it's potentially realistic to be asking this question. How much longer do you think Pochettino has got if they continue to, 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 to not pick up points like this. We're laughing, well, but at the same well, time, well, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. No, it's not. No, look, I mean, I brought it up, so I, 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 <laughs> I, accept, I, accept, I accept the premise of the question entirely. I, look, I can't see them doing anything before January. Whether If they're in the bottom half, come towards the end of January, they might think, well, we might want to get a new manager in. We might want to get a new manager who might want a player or two and see if we can salvage the situation. But I can't believe I'm sitting here and saying Pochettino's got three months. But it does feel that it could turn quite desperate quite quickly if the results continue this badly. All right, quickly, James. Uh, are they going to finish top four? And if they don't, whatever happens, will Pochettino still be the manager next season? <sighs> Two nice and easy ones there, Mark. Thanks. Um, no, I don't think they will finish in the top four. I, do, I, don't, I really can't see it. I, I, I hope that Pochettino will be given a second season. I, I would like to think, you'd like to think they're going to get better, right? The more they work under Pochettino, they're going to have clear weeks to work. You would think there would be an improvement in the weeks and the months ahead. As we talked about with the fixture list, it's pretty unforgiving now, so they might have to wait a while. Mm. I would think if they can sneak a Europa League place, if he can get them to sort of sixth, seventh, maybe eighth, if it's the Conference League, I mean, that's better than nothing, I suppose. Then I would like to think that Pochettino will be well, maybe not, but I'd like to think Pochettino will be given a second season. So I'm going to say they won't get in the top four, but he will muddle through and he will get the summer and, and the start next season. Phil, I'm going to slightly change it for you. Are they going to finish in any European place? And will yeah. Pochettino be there next season? Like I said on the preview podcast, I was uh, pretty uh, expectant of this uh, Chelsea project. And six games in, I'm uh, completely changing my tone. They're nine points off a Champions League spot. Nine points. I, there is still many games to go, but that is a big, big gap. And there are many, many, many teams with the desires of European football. So I don't know. I don't know if they're going to get European football. And that is quite a climb down from me saying they're going to get top four to I don't know if they're going to finish in the top eight in six games. But that's 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 the level of the mess at the moment in Chelsea. So I, I don't know, Mark, but I'm not I'm not particularly optimistic. And the manager, will he still be there? No. There you go. Right, let's take a short break. Uh, and when we get back, we'll be talking all things La Liga. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Right, we have to talk about the Madrid derby, but first, before we even talk about the game, come on, Phil, you tried to explain why you didn't go to the game. Talk, try and explain to somebody in Australia, somebody around the world who would love to go to a Madrid derby, had a ticket, what? but why decided you... they didn't want to go. Why are you making me feel bad about this? Why are you trying to guilt trip me here? This is what we do, right? We we get a little bit complacent, right? Because we find ourselves in a good position. We can watch all these games and go, I don't really fan. I've got a little bit of a cold. Australia. Australia. I am sorry. I am sorry I did not go to the Madrid Derby yesterday. No, listen, I had a really busy weekend. It was my son's birthday on Saturday. uh, And then we were out celebrating it on Sunday as well. Um, Got... Um, you know, I wasn't feeling particularly well either. And I just felt that it was a step too far, Mark, for me to go to the Madrid derby. I should have gone. Like I said, I've let everybody down, including my family and Optusport. And um, I'll try you've to never, never ever older. do it again. You've never <laughs> yeah. sounded older than you do now. I, have to, I mean, yeah. technically, you're never, you, you're not, you've never been older than you well, are now. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> James, James, I want to know, would you turn it down, James? If you had a Madrid derby ticket, would you turn it down? No, never. I'd miss my own I, I birthday that. for it. I can't believe it. Phil's got his priorities completely wrong. <laughs> I apologise. I apologise. What did yeah. you make of the game? Was it? Did it live up to expectation? Listen, it was good. It was good. Sometimes the, the Madrid derby, in terms of a spectacle, is actually quite cagey. It's not particularly um, thrilling. But I thought last night's game was uh, was really good. Atletico Madrid started uh, started well on the front foot. And I think this this derby kind of exposed Real Madrid uh, a little bit. And it's the first time that they've had uh, a big game so far this season in terms of up against a big opponent. And they were really quite, um, really quite poor throughout the whole game. Uh, I thought there was a, a period after they scored in the first half, last 15 minutes of the first half where they... They had the ball and they took it to uh, to Atletico Madrid. They had a goal ruled out for offside, which they weren't too happy about. And uh, there was a chance that they might have got back into it there. But that was it, that 15-minute period. And otherwise, Atletico Madrid looked pretty comfortable. They defended really well and they took their chances. They've got a magnificent player in Antoine Griezmann, who I don't think gets talked uh, enough about, about being one of the top, top players in the world because he, he genuinely is. And I've never seen a superstar like him work so hard for the team and, and the goal he scored 60 seconds before he had been tracking back covering uh, in a left back position because Samuel Lino had gone up the pitch and then he's dropping back to, to cover the left back and then he makes the run up and, and scores and that's just indicative of how hard he works for the team and Atletico were, were worthy winners here and Real Madrid have got problems because their squad looks short now and this is the problem when you're asked for um for predictions at the start of the season. And I comfortably, I said Real Madrid, I'm pretty confident that they're going to win the league. And the business that Barcelona did at the end of the transfer window, bringing in the two Jaws in Felix and Cancelo, has just elevated their team to their starting eleven to, to really a next level. And Real Madrid, with the injuries to Courtois and Militao, their two most important defensive players, they're out for the rest of the season. Vinicius has missed a few games as well. And they look short. They look short of ideas up front, particularly. They're not scoring many goals. I think they're the four, fifth top scorers in, in La Liga. Um, and yeah, this this was a game that I think exposed Real Madrid and, and brought them back down to, to earth with a, with a bit of a bump after Jude Bellingham had sort of saved them in, in on quite a few occasions. I, I have to say, I was, I was tuning in to expecting to see another Bellingham 
masterclass, really. I mean, I, so I, I also cover. England. You were tuning into. You were tuning in to see a late Jude Bellingham winner. Yeah, that's what you're I, expecting, I, right? Because yeah. that's what that's what happens now, right? I mean, I, yeah. I, I also I also cover England. I've I've done for, for for a long time, and I remember in Qatar at the World Cup when he made this sort of dynamic almost game-changing run that was a bit Gascoigne-esque in terms of the way he sort of jinked past midfielders from deep and opened up the game. Um, you know, that's the sort of player I thought we, we we might be getting for England. But really what we're seeing now, and Phil obviously will know this better than me, is someone who's playing further forward, who's getting in the box and being able to finish chances. Um, and, and it looks as though he's, he could potentially add a new dimension to England's midfield. But, but for Real Madrid, he seems to be masking a multitude of of problems in terms of their attacking creativity because suddenly there's this platform for him to yes to go and play but if he's not the one who's able to deliver they don't all of a sudden it seems bizarre to say about Real Madrid they don't seem to have someone else who can come and step up yeah the thing is about yesterday Carlo Ancelotti chose to not play with a central forward so Joselu the Spain international striker started on the bench and instead Luka Modric came into the starting 11 and Bellingham played as a sort of second striker alongside Rodrigo but neither of them being strikers really and Modric playing at the top of the diamond and it didn't work at all I think Bellingham works within that structure when you've got someone like Joselu to to attract uh, central defenders and he can take advantage of the space that was not there last night and on the opposite side of the things, you've got Atletico Madrid, uh, Alvaro Morata up front, your traditional kind of striker. He was on fire, wasn't he? I mean, his combination play, um, his movement. But it, let's be honest, I also don't think, I'm going to be critical of Real Madrid defensively. Alaba and Rudiger, I thought, were all over the place. I mean, for a guy of, of Morata, who you know his strengths are, uh, you know, balls into the box, high balls, he's great with his head. How can you leave him th- uh, free on those occasions? They were, they were all over the place. I mean, and, and David Alaba is getting a lot of uh, uh, criticism this morning here for, uh, for, for allowing Morata to, to, um, to score. I was actually just remembering, I was listening on the, the radio this morning, and it's the first time that I've heard dissenting voices against Jude Bellingham as well. Um, people saying, you know, it's the first big game and Jude didn't turn up and it's all very good doing it against Getafe and Celta Vigo, but you need to do it against Atleti as well. So six games in and, and things turn pretty quickly. He's for, 20. Uh, He's 20 years old. It doesn't brilliant. matter. It doesn't matter. You're in Real Madrid and that's what happened. <laughs> that's One it. week you're brilliant. The next week you're absolutely terrible and not good enough. Uh, just quickly, I want to talk about Griezmann um, because I, I just see a parallel, right? So Griezmann was there, did well, left, went to Barcelona, in and out, came back again. They didn't seem to be the love. They'd fallen out, him and Diego Simeone. Now they're back in love again, right? And, and you talk about Griezmann's work rate. That's something I don't think you would associate with Antoine Griezmann in the past um, as intense. Maybe. Um, I think he's always been someone who's been a team player and that's why Simeone loves him so much and always wants him in his team because he knows that he's going to get the total commitment from Antoine Griezmann. But perhaps Griezmann felt this time when he came back to Atletico Madrid and the fans were absolutely fuming at the way that he left and there were all sorts of banners and whistles and nobody was happy about him coming back. He's won them back. He's won them back with his performances. And part of that performances has been the unbelievable work rate. So, yeah, maybe he felt like he had to do a little bit more to win the back. But he's done that. He's done that um, uh, with, 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 a, with a great difference. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, James, for joining us. I know you have to, to shoot off. Um, great to have you on the podcast and great for your insight. Um, and certainly the, the, uh, the North London derby, which um, was very entertaining, as we all know. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Phil, let's talk about Barcelona. How good were they on the weekend? I mean, obviously up until about 70, sorry, 76th minute, they were 2-0 down. But from that point onwards, they <laughs> turned the game upside down, didn't they? 
Yeah, it was an unbelievable comeback from uh, Barcelona. They were 2-0 down at home to uh, Celta Vigo. Then Robert Lewandowski scores in the 81st minute, the 85th minute, and Jao Cancelo scores in the 89th minute for that you know, really quite remarkable uh, comeback. It was a terrific game, this. Uh, if you were watching, lucky you because you were massively entertained. I watched the game live and then I went back and watched the 12-minute highlights package and there was so much that happened, so many chances. It could have been 9-5, 9-6 easily. Ter Stegen made saves. Barcelona had plenty of chances as well. João Felix is on it. Uh, he looking really creative, uh, providing assists. João Cancelo scored the, uh, the winning goal as well. And, and, and the two Jaos, their impact can't be underestimated, I don't think, or understated. Remember, this is the Barcelona side, Mark, that last season, they won 11 games... 1-0. One 1-0 nil. One nil to the Barcelona is not, is not a scoreline that, that we're used to with the Catalans. And you know what? When Xavi was appointed, I don't know if it was in his, in his presentation, press conference, or around that time, he, he actually said, this is Barcelona. It's not enough to win 1-0. Uh, and then his team went on and set the record for number of 1-0 wins in a season for, for, for Barcelona. And I think he realised that actually you still get three points for a 1-0 win. So he was quite pragmatic last season. Uh, but in the last few weeks, particularly with the arrivals of the Jows, and they've scored 13 goals in the last five games with them in the team, uh, there's been a different element to their attacking play. Jao Cancelo, he's a right back, but he's not just a right back. I mean, that's where he nominally starts. But when Barca are in possession, he's playing centre midfield a lot of the time. And he comes in and he helps them create a, a numerical advantage in the centre of the pitch. And he's a terrific player, world-class player, I feel. And... Him and João Felix have, have elevated this Barcelona starting eleven, as I said earlier in the podcast, to something that is pretty, pretty special. And it's a Barca team that's been without Pedri, probably their best player uh, for most of the season so far. So when he comes back into the team, um, they're going to be a really, really serious, um, serious proposition, not just in Spain, because I think they have the best starting eleven in Spain now, but also they're starting to feel like they can do something in Europe. They haven't got out of the group stages in the Champions League for the last two seasons, which has been massive for them both emotionally and financially. Uh, so that they're going to get out of the group stages. I'm going to stick my neck out of the line and then maybe they can do something in Europe. But in terms of La Liga, they're looking really, really good at the moment and playing the kind of football that you associate with Barcelona and that Xavi, as someone who is Barca through and through, wants his team to play. So that, that's the difference, right? So the difference this season so far is that they're playing with a lot more uh, entertaining sort of football, scoring lots of goals. I mean, I mean, I know they've considered, they've considered a goal a game so far on average, so six goals so far. That's also partially, I'm not blaming Jolko and Cello, but kind of like you, you bring on, you have a defender who's more an advanced player, more of an attacking player, you're going to leave yourself a little bit more exposed, right? So, so the benefit of going forward and having that creative player uh, uh, is going to be shorter numbers in the back and yeah. potentially conceding more goals, right? Yeah, I mean, he knows that um, when he goes forward, he has to get back and, and, and defend. But that has been, that's the big question mark about Jacques Cancelo, sort of defensively, will he be able to um, provide the cover that is needed because he's getting forward so much? They've been without Ronald Araujo as well for most of this season, the big Uruguayan centre-back who might be the best centre-back in the world. And he's been out injured. So um, not having him has, I guess, contributed to them conceding goals. But they're playing really, I mean, some of their play in and around the box has just been really genuinely superb. And you know, long may it continue. I'm not a Barca fan, but I am a fan of football. And when Barcelona are in full flight and scoring and creating is genuinely really quite exciting to see. One thing, Mark, I don't know when Robert Lewandowski is going to get a rest. 
He plays every game, every minute of every game. He's 35. They don't have anyone else really to, to fill in in that position. So that's one question mark about the squad. And maybe they're just planning to play him every game until the January transfer window and then bring someone else in and he could have a rest then because at the moment, it doesn't look like he's resting at all. Yeah, see, I think at his age, I think uh, Robert Lewandowski will want to play every week. The question yeah. is whether he's physically able to, right? But he's fitter than he's ever been. That's what happens when you get older. You can see all the stuff he does. He looks an absolute machine. I, I, did I did I mention that you said that Joel Felix will never, ever go to Barcelona? It's just not going to happen, right? <laughs> I mean, you did say that. Right, yeah, I did say that. No, right. you know what? Uh, the, I, not only did I say that, I think I put out a tweet. And it's yes. on the 1st, of, the 1st of September, I put out a tweet. And I said, I'm being told that Joao Felix to Barcelona is very, very close to being done. It's a deal that I do not understand at all. The manager doesn't seem very keen on him. I'm not sure where he plays. Barca have to pay loads of money for him. Do not understand it. No, no, no. So, like I say, I'm big enough to admit when I've made a mistake. Seemingly, seemingly I have made something of a mistake here, Mark, in my, in my judgment of the uh, Jao Felix uh, move. In my defence, I wasn't the only person saying that. There were quite a few journalists as well here. We didn't really understand the, the deal, but we're being made to look very silly at the moment. Well, well no, I have to agree with you. I'd, put my hand up. I'd say the same thing. I didn't see how that's going to work. Wherever yeah. he's been, it's struggled. But I, I suppose the difference would be, uh, I would think, one part of that quote that you said there about Xavi doesn't want him or don't think he wants him, but he clearly does, right? He clearly I mean, likes him. He listen, clearly he, he, he has his arm around him. Yeah, he wasn't going to say, you know, don't come here, but I think his priority was Jao Cancelo. His priority yes. was definitely Jao Cancelo. And then, oh, all right, if Felix comes, cool, okay, we'll find somewhere to play him. I'm, I'm sure I can get something out of him. But I think I think Jao Cancelo was the, was the priority. What is, I think, one of the key factors here is that it's almost last chance saloon for Jao Felix, this move, almost. And it feels ridiculous to be saying this about someone who's 23, but it feels like he knows it. Well, that level, right? At, at yeah. The, the big, yeah. big super class, yeah. right? I mean, we're, we're saying that, you know, he's got a chance anywhere else because I'm sure there's a, there's a, there, there'll, be, there'll be a million clubs that would want him. But yeah, at that elite, elite yeah. level, I agree with you. And all I can say is he must have one hell of an agent to continuously get into those big, big clubs, even off the back of not performing well, right? So, well, yeah, he has, he has, he has the agent. He has well, George Mendes. So, absolutely. You know. And that, that's yeah. what it is, right? I mean, I mean that, that's, that's the key with that one. So Barcelona, in your liking right now, the way that they've performed, the way what you've seen so far, Madrid's deficiency, yes. uh, certainly scoring goals, are Barcelona slightly more, you, you more comfortable in saying Barcelona can go on and retain the title. Yeah, and this is something that I touched upon in my column for Optus Sport this this week. It's that you can't just take Barcelona and Real Madrid on their own in a vacuum. This is the co in Spanish football they coexist one one against the other. So when you talk about one, you have to talk about the other. Barcelona have made these signings, and Real Madrid have lost important players to injury and are not playing particularly well. And Barcelona are flying. So. It's not just Barcelona are flying. It's that Real Madrid are looking are looking dodgy as well, and they've lost these key players. So, yeah, I don't think it's it's ridiculous to say that Barcelona um, are, are favourites at the moment. We're six games in; they're one point clear of Real Madrid at the top of the table. But the gap between these two sides feels feels a lot greater, and it feels like it's only going to get bigger as well. Good news for Real Madrid, by the way. There's a midweek game. They're at home to Las Palmas. They should win that. But after that. They're up against the surprise package of the season, Girona, away. And um, that could be a very, very tricky game. What is going on with Girona? Second on the table. <laughs> only second on goal difference after six games. I know it's only six games. They won their last game on the weekend, 5-3 against Mallorca. What's going on? Yeah. Um, 
I, I was trying to get the hashtag trending last season, always watch Girona. Hashtag always watch Girona because they're a side that score loads of goals and, and conceded loads of goals uh, as well, particularly last season. One of the best attacks and one of the worst defence. This season, they've actually tightened up their defence uh, quite a lot. They conceded three at the weekend, but they were 5-1 up with uh, 10 minutes to go and, and let in a couple of goal, goals. So um, they're, they're defending much better. And they've made some really interesting signings uh, as well. They brought in a youngster called Savio, a young 19-year-old Brazilian, who I don't know if he's going to be there next season because he is playing so well. And Girona are part of the City group. I'm not saying he's going to move to Manchester City, but I think they will be aware of how good this youngster is and, and, and potential that he has. Um, they've got two Ukrainians in Tsigankov and Dovbik, who, who have come in and done exceptionally well. They've got a manager who is obsessed with playing football the right way and um, structures the team to uh, to recover the ball quickly. They're just a really well-coached, well-run unit from a small city. It's only 100,000 people in Girona. It's a small place. Traditionally, it was a basketball city as well. But their team are, are second, second in the table, as you said, just behind Barcelona on goal difference. They've got a game away to Villarreal in midweek because there's midweek fixtures. Get something out of that. And then they're home to Real Madrid. They beat Real Madrid last season. You might remember Tati Castellanos scored four goals uh, against Real Madrid. I think it was a 4-2 win. So they'll feel confident and they're, they're, they're absolutely flying and they are one to watch. So I know Australians, it might be difficult. It might require setting an alarm at a horrible, horrible time. But always watch Girona. I'm telling you, you, you know, thank me later. Might say we're going to do hashtag always watch Girona. Yeah, give, give Aussie supporters a reason as to why. Just really quickly, give me give me give me a spiel as to why they should watch Girona. Uh, they are just extremely uh, attractive side. They will just go out and try and score goals, and goals is what we want to see in football, right? So they're not sitting back. They're not trying to uh, contain sides. Even against the bigger sides, they will try and take the game to them as well. They scored five at the weekend. They scored four the weekend before that. Uh, really, really nice goals as well. So yeah, man. Hashtag always watch Girona. I'm going to be watching it as well, man. I'm going to be hashtagging them as well because that absolutely sold to me. And we love to see lots and lots of goals. Um, <laughs> the other one I just want to give a quick brief mention to is Valencia. Still there, still doing all right. Bunch of kids doing well. Um, you know, they're, they're on, the, on the cusp. There's six on the table so far. I know it's 86 games in, but well done to them so far. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Um, I want to thank you again, Phil, for, for joining me this week. Thank you, mate. Yep. See you next week. Certainly will. A reminder that every game of the Premier League and La Liga is live on Optus Sport. And the FA Women's Super League returns this weekend with no fewer than 13 Australians playing in the league. Thanks for your company on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. See you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.